Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Let's get to our guest. Julie Beal is with us. She's portfolio manager, also senior research analyst at Kane Anderson Rudnick on the line from L.A. Julie, this market move in equities today seems tied to this hope of a shift in a less aggressive Fed. Do you buy into this? I, I don't. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, the Fed is looking at two categories that have been persistently sticky. The first is uh, housing, and it's probably the most important um, rentals, but also just the cost to own a home have gone up. And I don't see that really retreating anytime soon. And then what's also been very persistent are food and energy, food and energy prices. Food prices in particular have really taken a sizable chunk out of the average consumer's pocket. And I think the Fed has really been caught a little bit um, sleeping at the wheel when it came to transitory inflation last year. And so I now think that they're trying to make up for lost time. And if they're going to err on any side, it's going to be on being more hawkish, not less, I would think. So do you obviously don't think the markets have uh, correctly priced in future Fed moves? Uh, Where to from here? Do you see a significant leg down? I, I think it, I think it kind of depends. One is is understanding the health of the U.S. consumer. So much hinges on the U.S. consumer's ability to kind of continue to shoulder shocks to the system. It's been remarkably resilient through the pandemic and post-pandemic. What I'm curious to see is when everyone comes back from their holiday vacations, how open are they to continuing to spend on new projects within their own homes, back to school, holiday? To me, that is going to be the best indication of the health and vibrancy of the economy. And I think the Fed will be paying attention to that as well. One of the things that's going to cushion, uh, I think, the response on the part of uh, what consumers have had to deal with, lower oil prices. And this is not a demand destruction story when you're talking about the possibility of Iranian crude coming back to market. I mean, we're trading $88 a barrel right now. Yeah, I think that's absolutely. And I think it's something that's been maybe a little bit underreported. Um, you know, I've seen many reports that say if this deal goes through, uh, oil goes to 80, and that's great. That's certainly an improvement for where we have been, but it's still quite high, right, relative to where we were in the last three, four, five years. And so I think on an absolute basis, we have to keep in mind that consumers are not aware of oil prices declining 20%. They're aware of I'm paying $5, $4, et cetera. So any relief is good, but on a relative basis, it's still quite high. And uh, Julie, later on this week, uh, tomorrow in fact, we're going to be getting uh, retail sales numbers out of the U.S. for the month of July. This is, of course, a backward-looking read, but still, how important is this going to be as a barometer of consumer demand? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be actually pretty critical um, understanding where consumers are and their appetite to be out there spending, particularly when we know that a lot of consumer excess consumer discretionary cash has gone towards travel and leisure. Anyone who's been in an airport knows it's absolute chaos. Um, but I'm really curious to see what consumers are spending on because I think that gives us an indication for their future optimism. So I think particularly understanding durable goods versus the amount of discretionary income going towards essentials is going to give us some indication of where consumer confidence really is. So I, we were talking uh, earlier in the program about this disappointing uh, data that we had for China yesterday. Retail sales, industrial profit all down. And today, an editorial in the PBOC-backed newspaper Financial News saying that China needs to do more to essentially adopt more policy tools to boost growth. The CSI 300 right now is trading less than 16 times earnings versus a, a multiple on the S&P at roughly 21 times earnings. Are you tempted to put money to work in China just on the basis of not only valuation, but the commitment to do more to boost growth? Well, you know, I think it's, it's pretty compelling when you think of the size of the opportunity in China. But what always kind of keeps us on the sidelines is the volatility around the regulatory Frameworks, And, you know, for us as, as long-term investors, you know, we're not in and out of things very quickly. We tend to kind of marry the companies that we invest in. It's hard to really get enthusiastic when you just have so much uncertainty of what the underlying economics, what are tolerable underlying economics for the Chinese government. So for us that we see individual opportunities, there are certain businesses that just have such a impressive business model that they're compelling, but writ large, it's something that we're careful and cautious on. Uh, you mentioned volatility. I mean, it's not just uh, limited to the Chinese regulatory framework. We're seeing volatility in markets everywhere at the moment. How are you trading around that? So, you know, typically we don't we don't trade very much. I'll tell you, as a portfolio manager, I didn't trade a single stock in the first quarter. Um, but what we try to do is look at the underlying drivers of our businesses and see if they are you know, able to withstand any kind of market shocks that are coming towards us. So obviously inflation is an important one. I think with a weakening U.S. consumer, we're trying to focus more on businesses that serve other businesses rather than businesses that are directly going after a consumer discretionary dollar. And I think that gives you some more earning stability and durability, which is right now something we're willing to pay for. Okay, so you may not be trading this market, but I'm wondering whether or not you're a little reticent to putting new capital to work in the environment. If you imagine a world where there's another leg down for the equity market, I'm curious about how much dry powder you have right now. Are you holding a substantial amount of cash? Well, you know, we, our mandate is to be fully invested at all times. So the most cash we'll have is, is about 10%. But I'm, you know, pretty close to that amount right now because I think there are better values out there. If you look at quality businesses, they haven't recovered to the same levels that more cyclical, volatile companies have in the last couple months. So I actually think there are some, I wouldn't call them bargains because quality businesses are never cheap but they're cheaper. And for us, that can be pretty compelling opportunity to either have an entry point or to add to positions we already have. You mentioned a minute ago, you, you haven't really done any trading in the past quarter. So if, you, if you're looking to get long on something, uh, where do you go? Some of those big tech names have sold down a bit, just quickly. Yeah, I think we like the software names, but kind of on the small and mid-cap size, they're a little bit more niche and vertical focused. So something like a Bentley Systems, which does infrastructure software, I think it's going to be less cyclical and have better results over the long term. 
All right, uh, Julie Beal, thanks so much for joining us today on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia with your analysis. Julie Beal is Portfolio Manager and Senior Research Analyst at Kane Anderson Rudnick. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.